The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Welcome to the Holding Short Podcast, done in partnership with CWIA's Virtual Symposium. My name is Laura Matheson, and I am so excited today to be joined by Allison Couch. At an early age, Allison Couch was introduced up close to the intricate details of aircraft by her father, who worked as an aircraft maintenance engineer. She vividly recalls the excitement of attending air shows with the roar of jet engines contrasted with the tranquility of glider displays. From then on, she says she was hooked. Since graduating from the aviation management program at Georgian College, she has held diverse international roles with Emirates Airlines, Sky Service Business Aviation, and Orange Air. As Allison explains, she learned to work as an integrated team member with colleagues from a multitude of cultures and backgrounds. In addition, Allison holds a master's degree in aviation management. Two years ago, Allison made the bold decision to transition her career from flight attendant to commercial pilot. She left her job with Emirates and enrolled in the integrated ATPL program at the Branton Flight Center. She graduated in April 2021 and is now flying as a first officer on a Pilatus PC-12 for a corporate operator. In addition, she fulfills the role as their company's safety manager. I am truly so excited to have her joining me today. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here today and I'm, I'm so happy that uh, I'm, I'm here with you. I am so happy that you've been able to find the time to be a part of this. You've been on our guest list for so long, so I'm so excited that we finally were able to make this happen. And all that to say, how did you get your start in aviation? Uh, so my incredible journey began uh, as a young girl growing up in Singapore. So I was born and raised in Montreal until uh, I was about like three years old. And then I moved overseas to Singapore. Um, my dad was transferred to a job posting there. He used to work for Pratt & Whitney Canada. So they had him based overseas in Singapore. Um, so I was there with my parents up until I was about 12. And I was just around air shows all the time and uh, traveling with my, my, my parents. Um, I got to ride up jump seat on the 747 back then when it was actually allowed. And I just knew I, I found my passion. I wanted to be in aviation um, my whole life. Um, and then after high school, uh, knowing I wanted to be in aviation, I uh, applied for the aviation management program at Georgian College. Now, I didn't know what I wanted to do in aviation specifically, but I just knew I wanted to be in it. So I thought that was the perfect program for me. So I didn't know that you'd grown up in Singapore. Uh, I'd had the opportunity at one point growing up where we may have lived there. So I didn't know that we oh, had nice. that cosmic connection. And it would have been a great place in, for getting involved in aviation with the different air shows and aviation events that Absolutely. they have. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, that yeah. way. So I guess having a dad that worked in, with Pratt & Whitney, were you always having a heavy aviation influence in your home? Or was it just sort of like, that's what dad does at work, but I have my own interest in it? Um, yeah, it was more like that was what my dad was doing. Um, I just had an interest in it because he would bring us to a lot of air shows and uh, we were involved with just a lot of the extracurricular activities he was doing, like traveling and um, yeah, like he, he just involved us with, with everything, but I was just interested in it. He didn't like try to push that interest on me or anything. Um, yeah, I just naturally fell in love with aviation. No, it sounds like it was pretty organic, even though you had a lot of different aviation influences come about within your life. So. 
your first job in aviation was working as a flight attendant for Emirates. What was it like to work overseas? And from your perspective, how does aviation differ between Canada and the UAE? So um, my first job in aviation uh, was at Orange here in Canada. Um, so I, I worked here at, at Orange Air and Sky Service before going overseas to Dubai. And um, how that transition happened was I started to, to do my private pilot's license at the Island Airport downtown Toronto. And once I started flying, I absolutely fell in love with it. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And uh, it quickly started to add up, of course. Um, like it was just becoming so pricey and unaffordable. And even though I was working full time, I'm like, the costs were still um, adding up quickly. So I, I knew I had to make a plan um, and start saving some money. So I thought, okay, let me go overseas, be a flight attendant, travel the world, because I was infected by the travel bug as well. And I said, I'll go overseas, um, save money for a year, come back and finish my, my pilot license. So I did just that. I, I went overseas, uh, best decision I ever made in my life. Um, and I didn't stay a year, I ended up staying five years, uh, though I did save every single penny when I was there um, to come back home to do my, my, uh, my, to finish my flight training. Um, but in comparing the two countries, um, in terms of aviation, it, it is very, very similar. Um, both are highly regulated industries. Um, for example, like the safety management system that we have here in Canada is very similar to the one in the, in the UAE because it's all um, following the ICAO standards. Uh, though what is different is I would say the people. Um, so typically when I was on the Airbus A380 uh, with 500 passengers, we'd have 30 crew members from 25 different nationalities speaking 35 different languages. So um, I just thought that was really impressive. Um, just the number of people from different nationalities speaking different languages there. Um, yeah, so I learned how to work as an integrated team member with uh, people from all over the world. And uh, as someone that is born of mixed heritage, I recognize the power of diversity in the workplace. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it brings a lot of uh, positive impact and continuous improvement when you have that. I think about it in terms of the North American perspective, but it's always the, if you speak English kind of being the North American default, but then if there's any other language, it's always considered an asset. Whereas if you were going to work in the UAE, yeah, of course, speaking three or four different languages, that would be such an asset working in a multinational crew with yeah, multinational absolutely. passengers. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Like uh, there was some crew members I met that would speak like six different languages. And I'm like, how do you know that many languages? It was just, it was amazing. Yeah, it definitely motivated me to, to take French more serious. I'm just even hearing you now thinking, well, Laura, you really need to brush up on your French. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it would just be to me such an adventure going from Southern Ontario to, uh, to being in the Middle East. I, would, I wouldn't know how I would adapt to that. I would have just been so scared. Yeah. Just for such a big transition. I was a little scared, but um, I just thought, let me, let me go do it. Like, what do I have to lose? I'm only going to be there for a year. And I, I loved it so much. I'm like, I don't ever want to leave this place, but hopefully one day I can go back in different capacity as flight crew. Now you attended three different aviation training programs outside of your flight training, earning a diploma in aviation management from Georgian College, a diploma in aviation security management from Edith Cowan University, and a master's degree in aviation management in aviation management from Griffith University. How did these programs compare to one another? So all three programs were hugely worthwhile and I'm, I'm glad that I, I did that and continued my education. Though um, so I would say in terms of fun and practical learning, the Georgian College program um, has an advantage over the others because to graduate from that program, you need uh, three co-op work terms. 
So that gave all the students an opportunity to get out, um, get some practical experience. Um, so I did my co-op work terms at Transport Canada in Ottawa, uh, Pran Whitney Canada here in Toronto, and uh, Emirates Airlines in Toronto as well. So it allowed me to just go out there, get some job experiences, and people do it in all different sectors of the industry, like from airport to airline. So um, yeah, it, it was really it was really fun and allowed you to get some experience. Um, in terms of the master's degree, I did that online. And I did that as a flight attendant, like while working overseas. Uh, so it took a lot of self-discipline and, and hard work. I remember doing a layover, going on a layover to Paris and uh, landing and just all the crew members wanted to go out sightseeing and I had to do an assignment for my master's. So I would just find a cute cafe in Paris and spend hours in there. So it took a lot of discipline, but um, uh, it, it was amazing. I got to attend the graduation ceremony in Brisbane. So I got to meet all these instructors and students and classmates for the first time, which was crazy. Um, and then the aviation security program, that was uh, um, offered to us at Emirates Airlines um, as an employee. And it was in partnership with the Edith Cowan University. And we were in a classroom setting. So I got to do that part-time uh, for a year and a half. And yeah, that was amazing. I got to connect with uh, colleagues at Emirates that I wouldn't have normally connected with. There's 50,000 employees at Emirates. So um, yeah, so they were all amazing and worthwhile programs. I'm just thinking about your co-op terms. I don't know which one of them sounds more interesting. They all sound so worthwhile and so uniquely different from each other. They're so different. So uh, yeah, of course, Transport Canada is like from the regulatory aspect. So I got to see how things worked on that from that perspective. And uh, Pratt & Whitney, of course, is engine manufacturing and then uh, Emirates Airlines was the airline. So I was like, I don't know. These are all just amazing sectors. I don't know what I wanted to do. It was, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it would be great at exposing you to a bunch of different facets of the aviation industry, but not necessarily, yeah. or could not necessarily be too, too helpful in terms of focusing of, oh, this one, because those sound all exactly. three so interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then for the online masters, I mean, studying and working is a challenge no matter where you are, but man, it sounds a little bit easier to study for your masters if you're doing it in Paris. <laughs> yeah, I tried to just come up with fun ways to do it because like it, it was it was a lot of work. Um, mm -hmm. I think I was doing it full time online at one point where I was taking like three courses at once and it was um, it was tough. So then I, I went over to the part time because I just I, I couldn't I was flying like 120 hours a month and uh, just doing three courses at once was a lot. So yeah, I try to make it fun try to like go to cute cafes or um go sit by the pool and study anything to to make the experience good <laughs> now with the aviation security management program uh what would have some of the content have been so it was high level security like intelligence um anti-terrorism and uh yeah along those lines so it was really really interesting to see that perspective like the perspective of the intelligence perspective, because I've not never learned about anything like that in my previous courses. No, it's something that I don't really give too much thought to. It seems to sort of be done, at least in Canada, to the best of my knowledge, through the Canadian forces. So having the opportunity to learn more about how that system works and those protocols would be really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, currently, you work as a corporate pilot. How did you learn about this position and what advice would you have for someone who wants to work in corporate aviation? Uh, yeah, so I was very fortunate and, and privileged to, to get this opportunity flying the PC-12. Um, I would definitely say it was all the networking 
um, that gave me the visibility and the opportunity to get this position. Um, it actually almost happened by accident. I was just at the right place at the right time. And um, I met like the operations manager of this company and I just went up to him and asked him, I said, hey, if you're, if you're looking for a first officer, I would love to, like, I would love that opportunity. And I just thought there's no way they would ever say yes. But yeah, like I, I learned that always ask because like if he said no, then I'm in the same position. I'm no better off or no worse off. So um, yeah, I just asked and like a, a month later he called me, he goes, actually, we're looking for a first officer. So um, yeah, that was definitely always ask. Um, that's like, I live by that now. Um, and then some advice I would um, give to anyone wanting to work in corporate aviation is uh, consider joining women in corporate aviation. Um, they're a non-for-profit organization promoting uh, career opportunities in, in corporate aviation for women. Um, they have a lot of amazing scholarship opportunities, networking opportunities, and, and job postings. So um, I think that, yeah, women in corporate aviation um, would definitely be a great organization to join. Um, and then I would also say, like, always network. Um, I live by that as well. Like, get out and meet people and join these great organizations that are out there. And, yeah, it's just, it's all about who you know in this industry. Mm-hmm. No, you touched on something there in terms of you just felt like you were in the right place at the right time. And we've talked on our show before about the idea of luck and that it's a little bit about being in the right place at the right time, but also being ready and prepared to take the opportunity that has sort of presented itself to you. And yeah, so it exactly. Exactly. Like, yes, there was a bit of courage of just going over to the operations manager and saying, look, if you need a first officer, I'm the one that you should be calling, uh, but also being ready and qualified in addition to yeah. just having that, that gusto to go and just walk right up to someone. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, in terms of being ready, I was actually still in my program. I was um, at the last uh, semester of my integrated airline transport pilot license program at Brampton, and it was a full-time program. So technically, I wasn't ready to take on a, a flying job. But I was like, I need to make this work. Like, I, this might be the only opportunity that comes my way. Uh, so I went over to like the administrative staff at Brampton and explained my situation. And they're really supportive. They said, okay, um, if you know your schedule and, and you're gonna miss classes, that's fine. As long as you make it up or, um, yeah. And as long as your grades don't drop. So I, I made sure that yeah, they didn't. Mm-hmm. Now it would be a bit of a strange sort of juxtaposition here because you didn't work for Emirates in a uh, sorry, a flight role specifically. It was a flight as a flight crew member. However, how do you think aviation compares between commercial aviation and corporate aviation, just in your experiences? Um, I guess the compare the first comparison would be schedule. Um, corporate aviation, your schedule is just literally all over the place. Um, don't really have a schedule. Like it's it's whenever um, the client wants to fly or the family wants to fly, or if you're in charter, whenever yeah the customers want to fly. So you, you don't really, you can't plan things. It's very, very difficult. Um, whereas in commercial aviation, you do have a roster every month and it comes out on the same day of the same, like the same month, every month. Um, yeah, so you have a schedule and you can plan around that. Um, so I think the major difference there is, is scheduling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, even if you're flying 120 hours a month, uh, as you were with Emirates, there's some variation to your schedule, but at least you have a sense of what it's going to look like. Whereas, yeah, with corporate, it's more of a wait by the phone and be ready to go at all times. Yeah, exactly. And um, another um, thing that's very different, I would say, is like in corporate, it's very intimate and like there's it's a very like close knit um, group of people. You're, you're working with the same 
uh, captains or the same first officer and flight attendant every single flight and maybe the same clients as well where in, in the airline world it's you're, you have a different um, captain or a different first officer every single flight a different set of crew members and uh, different passengers obviously so yeah it's it's, it's a lot more close-knit in corporate and even kind of going one step further it's the same plane or at least probably one of the two same yeah, planes exactly that you get to know that plane's quirks and the different ways that it flies as opposed to just a generic yeah 172-8 whatever it may be yeah exactly now how do you think your background in aviation management prepared you for your current role as a pilot uh, it's definitely helped me um, in every way. I think that the formal education has given me a big picture view of the entire industry. Uh, I'm very conversant in all the supporting functions throughout the industry, and it's provided me a valuable understanding um, about business aviation and management. And, and I think that it definitely gives um, an added advantage in general um, when looking for a job, just to have that extra skill set. Mm-hmm. No, aviation, although the roles can sometimes be so clearly defined and have very particular skill sets, being a generalist is something that we've spoken about before and having the idea of not just sort of being focused on one niche, but being able to do a multitude of different things, it allows you to cast a wider net and it makes you, uh, I guess, easier to employ if you have a different background touching on five different things. Yeah, exactly. And just like knowing... um like the important roles of like everyone, everyone's job and how it all comes together to making a successful flight happen, understanding what the maintenance, what maintenance has to go through, what the flight attendants are going through. Um, yeah, I think it's so important to, to be able to see more than just your job function. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't really until I started working in aviation support roles that I realized, wow, this is such a team sport where you see yeah. maybe three main players and that's about it. But it's all the different people that go into making just in terms of a commercial flight, one successful commercial flight. You need to have the air traffic controllers, the ramp, the CSRs, in addition to the flight crew and so many other people that I can't even name. Uh, yeah. There's just so much that goes on that it looks so easy and that it only requires four or five people, but there's a team of probably 50 people that are all going exactly. to make that happen. It is. It's a, it's a huge team. So yeah, and every single person on that team is, is, is responsible and just as important. Mm-hmm. I always joke it's the t- person at Tim Hortons for the air traffic controller that's the most important part of their day. And so <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I love that. <laughs> yeah, they don't even realize that they're part of such a bigger team that yeah. it, it all comes together. For sure. Now, you currently serve as a pilot and safety manager within your organization. How do you feel being a pilot and another qualification is an advantage in the industry, with especially in regards to the setbacks from COVID-19? Um, absolutely having an additional skill, I would say, is always an advantage um, to helping uh, anyone progress their career, especially in an uncertain or difficult job market. Um, I think that it, it's helped me um, so much and it will assist my, my long-term goals and um, getting into a leadership role um, eventually down the road. And um, yeah, I think that having that and, and, and knowing like the safety management side of things is very important. Um, I, it, was, it was interesting because I learned about safety management uh, during my master's program, um, but putting it into practice was a whole nother story. Uh, being a safety manager, I created an SMS system from scratch, and it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, it took a lot of work uh, to, to do that. So I think, yeah, for sure, having that additional skill set, it definitely goes a long way. 
and I know we talked about networking, but it also just the doors that are able to be open to you because you have a background in a different type of uh, role within aviation. It, it can't be understated how important it is to be a generalist who's always willing to learn and try something new as opposed yeah. to just being solely focused on one dream job in aviation. Yeah, exactly. Being able to adapt and have different skill sets is very invaluable. Mm-hmm. As well as having a diverse educational background, you've also gained a wide variety of experience in the past few years, as we've mentioned, as a flight attendant, maintenance planner, aerodrome specialist, and technical support assistant. How does being able to draw on all those different experiences impact your day-to-day? So I would say that these diverse experiences has helped me mentally in my day-to-day work. Um, I remember working for Orange. I, I got direct hands-on experience with um, some, from SMS. It's, I supported a culture that emphasized safety as top priority and, and that it is everyone's responsibility. And um, that experience and understanding the importance of safety uh, directly carries on to my, my job now today as a pilot. And uh, as my flight attendant experience, our, our training in safety and security was very, very intense and rigorous. I think we had um, seven weeks of training when we first started Emirates. Um, and so I gained a strong, like, uh, a strong understanding and importance of an appreciation of the integrated role that uh, a flight attendant plays. And just to really know about the regulatory aspect, knowing your aircraft, knowing the SOPs, and that, of course, directly carries on, uh, carries over to my job as a pilot as well. It's all the, it's all the same. Um, so, yeah, I, my previous experiences have definitely made me a better pilot. Mm-hmm. And in terms of sort of speaking about your long-term goal of wanting to work within a management leadership role uh, and having an appreciation for all the different roles that go into it, ultimately, I think that would make you, in the long term, a better manager because you can see yourself and you understand those roles more than someone who's just overseeing them. You, you've done it, you know what goes into it, you know what's required. And I think that makes someone a better leader, ultimately. Yeah, I, I agree with you too. And I, I, sometimes I feel like I've done it backwards. I think most people kind of go into like their flying career and then later on go into management and, and into some of these other supporting functions. And I've kind of done it first, which is, um, which is pretty funny. But yeah, like I think it, it, will, it will help long-term. Um, I think after I fly for maybe 10, 15 years, I do want to get back into management and, um, and support a flight operations department. Now, what is your dream role in aviation? I know we sort of kind of have a talk about different ideas, but do you have something that would be kind of like a comprehensive dream job? Yeah, so it's always been to get into the airline and um, progress on to training captain and then eventually um, into a management role as um, director of flight ops or something similar in the flight operations department. That was always um, the goal. Uh, So when COVID happened, uh, I started looking at different opportunities and now I'm in corporate aviation and and that was never a goal. I didn't, I didn't, I guess I I didn't know what I didn't know. And yeah, now that I'm in corporate, I'm like, wow, there's there's a whole nother world. There's so many other opportunities and and, uh, directions and paths to go now. So now I'm just, I'm pretty open to anything that comes my way. Um, I do want to fly um, and it, whether it's corporate or aviation, um, corporate or airlines, I, I do want to fly and uh, eventually go into management. So I'm open to both now. Mm-hmm. I know when I was a teenager, my parents used to remind me that life isn't linear. And just because you can see point A to point B doesn't mean that it's going to be a straight line of getting there. Yeah. And that drove me nuts because they were so right. 
that so you have right. no idea <laughs> how life is going to take you to where you're trying to go or what new path might be on the way to what you thought was your final destination. So I guess, yeah, your case, corporate aviation was never on your radar. And now it's something that you could see potentially if it, who knows what is going to happen next, but if the cards were all there, that it could be something you would stay with for, for longer. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm definitely open to corporate aviation. It's such an exciting world. Um, I would also say that corporate aviation, a lot of the jobs are not posted um, online or easily accessible. It's all about who you know. It's a very uh, tight um, sector of the industry. Like, for example, Nike and Netflix, like they don't post for their pilots. They just, I don't know, it's all about who you know, and, and it's, it's insane. Whereas at the airlines, like, you know, it's, it's jobs are posted online and yeah, so it's very, very different um, between the two. And I think that's one reason why maybe so many pilots find it hard to even break into corporate aviation. You don't yeah. even know where to look. So through groups like Women in Corporate Aviation, I think that would probably be a good, as you've mentioned, a good place to start because how yeah. else would you know where to look or who to yeah, speak to? Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes it gets discouraging because when you do see the corporate jobs posted online, um, they're asking for like three or 4,000 hours and you're like, wait, I don't have, I don't have that like anywhere close to that. So it's discouraging, but yeah, they're out there. It's just, um, it's, I guess it's just not posted. Mm-hmm. Now, do you find that it's sort of big companies that we can think of, as you said, Nike and Netflix, or is it even just smaller companies that you wouldn't even expect that they would just have a corporate aircraft available to them? Exactly. And it's not even people that are, or it's not even companies that are necessarily in aviation. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be like, um, like Walmart Aviation has a whole flight department. Um, and people that are not in aviation companies or just individuals, um, they don't post jobs because they don't know, like, they go to like a charter company like like NovaJet or Chartwright and they'll manage their aircraft and they'll get pilots through there. But yeah, it's, it's never posted for some of these um, corporations. Yeah, it's a very interesting market. Yeah, it is all about who you know and it's just reference like, oh, hey, do you know a pilot that could potentially fly my citation? And it's just kind of, it's a conversation more than being posted online. Yeah, and as you said, it would be this, this, uh, this disconnect that the pilots don't know where to look for these roles and then yeah. the operators uh, the operators or that's the uh, the company or a private individual they don't necessarily know where to put the information that they're looking for pilots so yeah exactly. everyone's, everyone's looking for each other as sort of a misconnection that no one yes. knows how to actually how to up. get there yeah. yeah yeah now do you find for a lot of these organizations that as you said are, are not in aviation they don't know who to ask or where to go do you find that there could sometimes be more of a challenge with the fact that you are a pilot for someone that isn't in aviation and they don't necessarily understand how to manage their expectations of what aviation actually is? Yeah, sometimes because um, if the company corporation or individual is not in aviation um, and then they do have a small flight department, they've got two pilots um, and then say they, they wanna get somewhere, they don't understand that there's duty times and that you can't fly all around and, and like, it's not, it's not never ending. Like the, the pilots have, they duty out at a certain amount of hours. Um, they need, um, they need their minimum rest. Uh, weather is definitely a big factor. So sometimes they don't understand, um, those things. And if it's a charter, uh, with a certain number of seats that flight attendant needs to be on board. So there's a lot of, um, little things that might be challenging to, con- or like, yeah, it's just difficult to convey to the client because they're not involved in aviation. So I find that a lot of um, these corporations go to um, aircraft management companies just to help out with that because they do have the expertise in, in the aviation aspect. 
Mm -hmm. So yeah, you don't have it where pilots are being asked to do things that are unsafe and that it's understood at sort of a higher level. Yeah, exactly. exactly what everyone is legally able to do and what's yeah. realistic. Mm -hmm. So you're a well-known member of many different organizations, which really touches back on your point or, uh, with networking, including the CWIA, Women in Aviation International, Elevate Aviation, and the 99s. What importance do you place on volunteering within aviation? This is an interesting question um, because it's actually my dad who uh, encouraged me to get, get out more. He always says, you don't know what you don't know. You got to get out. And I remember, I think I was attending an air show back in like 2009 when I first started the Georgian college program. And um, there was an a women in aviation booth um, and my dad's like, go oh, and introduce yourself. And I remember being really shy and I'm like, no, it's fine. <laughs> but like, I think he kind of really pushed me to do that. And like, I've never looked back since. Um, I do place a huge importance uh, in uh, volunteering and, and giving back to the community and uh, networking. I recently did a presentation to 500 girls virtually online for a girls in leadership conference. And it just gave me so like, it was such a rewarding experience to be able to do that. And I've had a lot of um, women specifically in the industry that have helped me so much be like such great mentors. And I think that's just a way to give back is to do that to someone else and to give back to someone else who's just starting out. Um, and I just, I love meeting such like-minded people and yeah, it's just, I've, I've met so many amazing friends through through networking and being involved with these organizations. And exactly going back to your point of you don't know what you don't know, or rather your dad's point. Um, and it is through mentors and networking that you begin to even know the questions you need to ask. And yeah. the value of mentorship cannot be understated. Um, I can think of some of the mentors I've had and I, it, I would be very different had I not had their influence and their expertise. So even just being part of these groups for the networking, for the connections that you make, but even just for the sort of the personal growth that you can have, whether it's yeah. doing these presentations, it's, it's so rewarding. So I can imagine for you being so busy and having all these different hats that it's very nice to have an outlet where you're not necessarily paying it back to your mentors, but paying it forward. For sure, yeah, it's all about paying it forward and aspiring uh, the next group of, of aviation professionals. Mm -hmm. Now, through the 99s, you're a part of the Professional Pilot Leadership Initiative. Could you explain a little bit about how this program works and how you found yourself in it? Yeah, so this um, PPLI program, so the Professional Pilot Leadership Initiative, um, it's through the 99s, and my Elevate mentor is the one that got me involved with this, funny enough. So she encouraged me to, to look into it. And I remember the first year I was, I just started off um, my IETPL program at Brampton. I was really, really busy the first year. And then the second year I saw it come up on um, my emails to join this webinar to talk about this program. That, and I was like, I'm gonna see what it's about. And then I, I was like, I, I want to join because this, this looks like such a great program. It's an 18 to 24 month program. And there's three phases. So there's the, um, the captain's phase, there's the captain's circle, and then the navigator phase. So um, the captain's phase is where um, you're basically a mentee and you're um, creating a flight plan and um, creating your plan, essentially, your career plan on how you're going to um, move forward in your career and progress and you take ownership for it. And you do have a navigator who's your mentor to help guide you through that. And then the second phase is the captain circle phase, which I'm currently in now, and uh, you are as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, that's 
amazing because we each get uh, we each take turns to, to lead a discussion and uh, to moderate a discussion and we all have to participate I think that's really important it's basically peer mentorship and um, the third phase is where we get to give back and be a mentor to someone else that's just starting out in the captain's phase um, and then there's um, there's a lot of guided activities that happen every two weeks um, that you have to complete and um, you have to do at least 10 leadership activities um, to graduate from the program. And I think that's, that's important. It really pushes you to go out and, and uh, do something and, and um, yeah, push yourself to, to take leadership roles that maybe mm -hmm. you wouldn't normally do. So um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing program. Mm -hmm. No, I, as you mentioned, we're both in the same phase at the same time of this program. And it's been fun to sort of see your name pop up in different lists of sort of these are your peers for this session. So yeah. I always enjoy getting to see your name in that as well. But as much as it is about focusing on your own career, it has this huge emphasis through the leadership points of wanting to give back and making sure that you are involved. So I, I find that it's about developing yourself as much as you can, both professionally and personally in that regard as well. Yeah. Um, now, recently you led a discussion about scholarships. What were some of the big takeaways you had from that discussion? Um, I think that uh, most of our members have been in a similar position where they have applied to numerous scholarships to fund their flight training because flight training is so expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and there were many members who gave such awesome advice to put together a winning scholarship. I think my goal was to reach 20 and um, we've exceeded that. Um, I think what I did find was that most people don't know where to look for scholarships. Um, there are tons of aviation scholarships out there with numerous different organizations. And I, I think people know about the big ones like Women in Aviation and the 99s, but there are some other ones that are, um, that I guess are not, unless you look for them or do your research, they may not be um, as easy to find. So I think that the scholarship, um, it helped people um, see that there are a lot more scholarships out there, um, not just for flight training, but for beyond your flight training. There's type rating scholarships, there's courses that you can do um, beyond your flight training, which, um, yeah, I think a lot of people just think that there's flight training scholarships or there may not be scholarships that are applicable to them. So um, yeah, I hope that it was an informative discussion and people took away a lot from it. I know I really enjoyed it. And I think exactly one of the big takeaways was that it, it's hard to even know where to look for scholarships. It wasn't until after I finished uh, a good portion of my flight training that I was even aware that there really were aviation scholarships uh, out there and available. So it, and sometimes it's just knowing someone that was a recipient and then you say, wait, hold on, that exists. And then you yeah. apply and the then following. you look into it for sure. Yeah. That it's not easy to find, but uh, what scholarship tips would you have as someone that has been a multi recipient of different uh, scholarships over the years? What are your big scholarship tips? Um, I always start early because sometimes there, a, lot, a lot of the scholarships and applications take a lot of work to put together. Mm -hmm. And I have been time crunched at times where I like, I quickly put together a scholarship application and, and that never works that well. I think that you do need to take um, a lot of time to prepare um, your essay. Like I think you need to do a draft and rewrite the draft and rewrite it and then get people to give you feedback. And that takes a few weeks I and mean, you can't do that in a day or two days. Um, and then reaching out for uh, reference letters. Um, I think one of the points that we mentioned was um, it takes time to reach out to people and give them time to write the reference letters. Um, but something that I have been doing is uh, writing the reference letters for them. 
Um, just to give them an idea of just, I know people are busy and to ask someone to write a letter sometimes, I feel like it takes a lot of their time. So I'll just draft something, send it to them and say, here, here's a draft, uh, use, use it as you see fit, like take away, add, um, you could just not use any of it, but it's just um, gives them some words to, to help them with the letter. And I think everyone that I've done that for really, really appreciates it because it saves them time and there's things on there that they may not have known. And um, so I think that's my, my two biggest things. And I would also say to follow the, um, follow the instructions really carefully because I know that um, every scholarship is different and they ask for like maybe 500 words. So it's like, don't submit a thousand words when someone's asking for 500 and um, they ask you to attach a picture, attach a picture. And um, if they ask you to attach a log page, like make sure it's, um, you know, neat and, and you can easily read it, not like upside down. Um, I remember I was on a scholarship committee just recently with the Urban Pilots Network and um, it was my first time on a scholarship committee. So I was, I was receiving all these scholarships and yeah, you can, you can definitely tell um, someone who's put together um, an application quickly and someone who's taken this time to put it together. And yeah, and of course you, you do wanna to give it to the person that's taken their time and follow directions. And um, yeah, it shows a lot about the person. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have one of those 500 word limits on the personal essay and you need to touch on financial need, goals in aviation, how you got from here, what leadership goals do you aspire to have? And you think, oh my goodness, how am I going to fit this into 500 words? But yeah. it shows if you submit it and it's 500 or 499, whatever you just squeak it in. It shows that you took the time to really be careful about what you wanted to say. Yeah, exactly. It's and so easy to bust over that 500 minutes. It's so easy because you want to fit it all in and you want to, you know, you, you want to say so much on it and there's just not enough room. Um, but sometimes I think that these letters of references can also add some of the extra stuff that mm -hmm. may not be in your essay, but you still want to highlight. Um, I think the letters of references can do that as well. Mm -hmm. Another, I know you sort of say that you send a, a sort of a template, a draft to your uh, reference letter writers. What I do is I say, here's one that someone else has written for me and here's my resume. If you have any questions, let me know, but you get to That's sort of see too. this is what I'm doing and this is what someone else has written for either a similar or even a different scholarship, but just yeah. to give people a sense of direction because just writing sure. a reference letter can be really tricky. Even if yeah. yeah. Or like, and, and if you don't know like the address for like the scholarship, like when you're creating, when you're drafting the letter, I mean, it's just, it's nice to make it easy for the person. So yeah. Mm -hmm. No, one of my uh, one of my reference letters for a recent scholarship, he noticed that the official address for the organization had changed and he caught it before oh, no I did. Way. <laughs> and so yeah. I then had to reach out to all the other ones saying, hi, guys. Um, yeah, it's a new address now. So, it, yeah, even just something as simple as knowing the correct address and who to uh, address the scholarship letter to the reference letter to even that just makes a huge difference with reference yeah, letters. I agree for sure. Now, as we touched on the idea of mentorship and being a mentor and a mentee, how do you think having the mentors that you have had has influenced your career? Uh, so being a mentee has taught me um, that I'm accountable for my actions and my success. Um, it is entirely up to me to progress my career. Um, so a mentor can offer guidance and, and advice, but it's, it's up to the mentee to, to carry out the actions, do the planning, make the phone calls, write the letters, get involved. Um, and it's up to the mentee to take ownership of a mentoring relationship. So I have had such great mentors um, that still give me valuable advice. Um, 
And now as a mentor, I'm, I'm able to better understand the concept of accountability and ownership. And I try to, to tell my mentees that as well. But um, yeah, I've had several mentors throughout my career and uh, it's, it's been so invaluable to me. Mm -hmm. No, and having also now been both a mentee and a mentor, uh, especially the COVID-19 pandemic, it, I found, it my, found that my mentees were reaching out less. And so okay. I wanted to sort of, I felt like I needed to sort of initiate it with them just to say like, yes, things are awful right now, but let's still talk about your aviation plan. So it, the accountability was still a part of it, but I felt like yeah, some of them needed sure. a little bit of a nudge of, yes, it's okay that we can still talk about aviation and careers when yeah. things don't look too, too bright. Yeah, exactly. Now, who is someone in aviation you admire and why? Um. I admire so many people in aviation, uh, but someone that like I personally admire would, would be um, my father. Like he's been a mentor to me since I entered the industry in 2009. He started off as a, an AME, an aircraft maintenance engineer working on twin otters and dash shapes up in the Arctic. And then he moved over to the Middle East, uh, was fixing planes out there. Um, and then he transitioned his career um, working for Pratt & Whitney. Um, he's always guided me in the right direction, always supported my dreams and aspirations. And um, yeah, that, that, and at times I didn't appreciate it, but he would always be like, you need to get out more, you need to get out more. And he would always say that to me. And um, because of that, I, I have gotten out more and I've, I've seen, um, like I've, I've gotten out, I've um, gotten out of my little bubble, networked, joined organizations, done things that I probably wouldn't have done if um, my dad wasn't there constantly telling me to do that. Um, yeah, he's just been very, very supportive. Both my parents have been, uh, my dad specifically in aviation. So um, yeah, that's why I would say my, my dad's my mentor and, and that's, someone I look up to. And that's so lovely that you have such a wonderful relationship with both of your parents and that they support you. But to have a parent in aviation that is also one of your biggest supporters and mentors, that would just be so, so special. Yeah. Now, what advice did you have for someone considering an aviation career overall? So someone wanting to begin a career in aviation, I would say the sooner you get started, the better, especially if you want to be a pilot. Um, I started my pilot career quite late in life. I, I finished my flight training when I was 28 years old. I started off, my, my first flight ever was when I was 16, but I got my, my private pilot license in, like in my early 20s, uh, though I, I do think that if I had started earlier, I would have been... Um, in the middle of my flying career right now and not just starting out. So I think the sooner you get started, the better uh, in terms of flying. And you gotta go out there and get involved and there are so many organizations to join, male or female, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, there's a lot of um, organizations out there, especially air cadets. Um, you could potentially get your, your private license done at no cost and through a scholarship, which I would have definitely taken advantage of if I could do it all over again. Um, yeah, and always just get out, network, network, network. Uh, don't burn bridges. Like this industry is just so small. And um, yeah, so just get started. The sooner you get started, the better network and get out. Mm -hmm. No, those are all excellent points. And they've been echoed by so many different people. But that just really underlines how important those points are. That if everyone's saying them, well, there must be some merit to it. Yeah, exactly. Now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your flying career? Yeah, so there's two memories that kind of um, go together. Uh, when I was a flight attendant, um, 
uh, with Emirates Airlines. I operated a flight from Dubai to Singapore with my parents on board. Um, I operated in business class and uh, they were sitting in business class and it was just such a nice feeling to have my parents on board. Um, but what was even better was um, having my parents on board um, the PC-12 that I fly. So I, I recently um, got to bring them as a passenger and it, it was just really special to me that they got to be on board while as a flight attendant and as well as a pilot. And I think they were just very, both my parents were very proud and um, yeah, I think that's my favorite memory. It was just a very short flight. It was from Brampton to Collingwood to get fuel, but just for them to be on, on the flight and, and see that I was flying, I think was really special. Um, so that's, that's definitely one of my favorite memories. I have well, many, but. That would just be so special to have sort of your parents seeing the culmination of years of work and all the support and all the love that's gone into it. And then yeah. just to see you, see you doing it, to see you actually flying the plane, actually being a flight crew member with that, that would just be so special for them. I can imagine that that must be a highlight for them too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely one of my highlights. Now, before we wrap up today, where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at pilot.allison and on LinkedIn, uh, Allison Couch. We will be sure to have both those links in the episode description for our listeners. Allison Couch, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searles. If you would like to learn more about the show, The Holding Short Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.